I'm going to just try to follow the Lord and speak to you from my heart. And this message might be different, and it doesn't matter. Because <laughs> it's not about me. It's not about the preacher. It's about the message, but it's even more about the person who the message is about. So, I won't maybe take a text and preach expositorily or instructionally, but I'm going to talk to you from my heart. That's what's on my heart today. Uh, it's been almost three weeks since I got, had my little head injury, and um, I didn't realize how bad it was. And when I went to the ER, uh, it was a very interesting experience that night and for a little while to follow. My mind usually goes so fast, I feel like I'm trying to catch up with it. Then it felt like For maybe the first time in a long time, maybe the first time ever, everything was just right there. I don't know how else to describe it. And this is not about me. I don't like talking about myself. I like to just preach, but it's important to follow our hearts, and that's what I'm trying to do. So I'm not trying to be pitiful or something. In fact, I, the opposite is true. I'd rather pretend nothing happened, nothing's wrong. But... There at the ER, God put on my heart what's still on my heart today. And um, usually when he gives me a message, it's there. It's, I mean, it's in my spirit and the thoughts are in my mind. But it's like they're in the middle of a bunch of noise. And that night, this came on my heart and there wasn't any noise. And you know what he put on my heart? God changes Everything. That abiding conviction has been with me for almost three weeks. And um, I went to the doctor, different doctors, and one of them, the one who seemed to help the most, he gave me some exercises to do because my vision was affected and um, my thoughts, I couldn't think clearly. There was a diminished processing. And a lot of the exercises he gave me were very humbling. He said, basically, uh, anything your little baby's doing, you can do. Roll around in the floor. <laughs> he used to put these dots on the wall and touch them. So every morning and night, I'm getting up and pushing these dots on the wall. Then he said, uh, don't want you reading. No reading. No screens. No stress. And try not to think. So, God prepared my heart for this message in a very different way than I would usually prepare. It's weird to prepare for a message trying not to read. But I'm God's child, and as with all of His children, He has written His law in my heart in a way that I don't have to read to talk about it. Doesn't mean I shouldn't read when I'm able to. But um, I've been trying to do what that trusted doctor said because I care about getting better. And I'm still not uh, all the way there. So that's very difficult for me to be vulnerable and humble about. Um, God changes everything. 
I did make a few notes. That night when I came home, I didn't realize I shouldn't be doing stuff like that at the time, but I, I, I jotted down things. And I'm just going to talk to you from my heart, from some of these notes, and I trust the Lord in this. I wrote, God changes things. That's what He does. And I want to expand on that. You think about in the beginning. What was in the beginning? Nothing, as far as we would consider it, but there was God. I don't know how long it was like that. You could say, well, it was forever. Yeah, I know, but I don't know what that means. Because I'm a linear being, bound by time, and everything I process is through a time-based line. But at some point, God decided to change what had always been forever. And He created what we call the universe. That was a big change. And this, if I say some of the things that have been on my heart, some of you might not like it. Maybe you'll be offended. And I just want you to know it's not my goal to offend you, but I'm more concerned about offending my Lord. Because I don't have to answer to you. I have to answer to Him. So we'll see if anything offends you. I'm just not going to worry about it. God took what had always been forever. You think you're used to some routine in your life. I've had people tell me things like, I've been the way I am for 70 years. I'm not about to change now. And they usually say it similar to the way I just said it. With this disdain and almost disgust. And who are you to tell me? God changed everything after it had been that way forever. That's what He does. If you can't tolerate and accept that, you're not going to be a happy Christian, you're not going to be a beneficial Christian, and it's not going to be good. So after God changed everything by making creation and putting Adam in a state of perfection and fellowshipping with him, have you ever thought about why God did that? He's all um, sustaining. He's all powerful. He's all existent. He didn't need any of the things he made. And so I'm not going to pretend and say I understand exactly why he did that. I think part of the benefit of him doing that was having fellowship with us. But I don't think we're important enough to say that's why he did it. I don't know why. But he did. He changed everything. And then you see there was a period of time and some people served the Lord and some people didn't. And it got to where people were so dedicated to the pursuit of their own desires that they thought the whole purpose of their life was to do whatever they wanted. That sound familiar? And it got to the point where Scripture says the imaginations of their heart were only evil continually. And so once again, God changed everything. He destroyed what He created in order to make a pathway for it to be better. I don't know how to express what's in my heart today, but I hope God will show you. Again, after however long it had been, I don't know exactly how long it had been. I can read commentators' opinions 
But I don't know exactly how long it was from creation until the flood. It was a long time. And after God made all of that and everything He made, He said, it is good. (laughs) We messed it all up with our own sin. And God had to change everything again. Was that comfortable? No, it wasn't. In fact, it caused death for everybody and everything except for eight souls. And the animals they took with them. Have you thought about that? The weightiness of sin? We still have this mentality that it's my life, I'll do whatever I want with it. Be careful. And if you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, you don't have that right. Say, well, you sound mean. I'm not trying to sound mean. I feel deeply convicted about this. God made a way not just for the earth to be remade, but for a promise in his heart to be fulfilled. That promise that was in his heart regarding the redemption of mankind. That was the whole point of the ark. Everybody died, he would have had to start from scratch, and it wouldn't have been what he intended. So through the ark, he made a way for the Messiah to come. For the earth to be replenished with people, and for things to be how they should be. There's coming a time that God's going to change everything again. And this time, it'll be it. There won't be an ark There won't be eight people. There won't be any chance to try again. The last day, the trump's going to sound. Peter tells us the elements are going to be melted with fervent heat. All of this is going to be consumed. Not just a flood to wipe up man's sinfulness, but the actual elements, things that we don't even know how to destroy are going to be burned with with the fire of God, utterly consumed. And then he's going to change all this again and give us a new heaven and a new earth. Wherein dwells righteousness. Peter says, seeing that all these things are to be, what manner of person should we be in all holy conversation? How should you live your life knowing this change is coming? And I want to take it even further and say, not only does God produce big changes, cataclysmic earthwide changes, whether you like it or not, He produces individual, personal changes. Sometimes whether you like it or not. Sometimes because He knows better than we know ourselves. Now I want to be clear, I don't believe in irresistible grace in the sense that some Um, Calvinist-leaning people teach it. I believe in repentance. I believe we're commanded to repent, but God draws you to a place of repentance, and unless the Father draws you, you're not going to be saved. And when He saved me, that drawing power was something I could not resist. Aren't you thankful God changes things? 
Nobody ever experiences the power of God deeply without being changed. So, before, excuse me, before I go any more with that, let me just say, um, if you don't like change, <laughs> trying to serve the Lord is going to be hard for you. Because all it is is change. I, I welcome you. And again, I'm not being arrogant. I feel so convicted of this, I'm willing to stake my life on it. You try to prove to me that's not true. If you want to serve God, everything in your life changes and continues to change. And if it's not changing, you're stagnant. You're not alive. Or even if you are alive, you're not living. God doesn't give us some pattern or protocol or religious system and leave us and say, keep doing that thing over and over. He doesn't do that. He leads us, He guides us, He directs us, He walks with us. Just like Jesus with His followers here. There's a few significant changes in God's people in Scripture that I I can't not mention. There was a time when the most righteous man in the earth was um, singled out by God, presented to the enemy... (laughs) And God gave the enemy, the adversary, permission to tempt Job beyond what any of us could have endured, I think. He said, have you considered my servant Job? And that is a confusing book. It's a confounding book. It's, there's a lot I don't understand in it, I'll be honest. So it's a weird book to read. Thirty-something chapters of a bunch of conversation that is very difficult. But what is very clear to me is although Job was righteous, the most righteous man in the earth, he had developed a sort of self-righteousness because he thought things were the way they are and the way they should be. He didn't realize they could and should change. And when you get to the end of that book, after Job debates with his friends and they all debate with him and they tell him how bad he is and he tells them how good he is, (laughs) then God speaks and changes everything. One of my favorite passages comes to Job, and I don't know if it was in anger or... I don't think it was amusement. I think it was closer to sternness. Where were you when I made the worlds? Where were you when I put the stars in Orion's belt? Where were you when I told the ocean where to stop? You think you understand me? Prove it. You know what Job said? Oh, I love this. He said, I had heard of you with the hearing of my ears, but now my eye has seen you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job realized there is none like him in all the earth. He realized though he was the most righteous person on earth, none of it was any good compared to God. And everything about his life had to change. I mean everything. Not just a little bit. He didn't just have to move somewhere he didn't want to move. He didn't just have to lose his job. He didn't just have to get in a car wreck. His whole family died except for his wife. And you listen to the story and you wonder if it might have been easier without her. Everything changed so that he could see the greater glory of God, greater than he had ever imagined. And when he saw that, he said, I didn't understand anything. 
Nothing that I thought should be the way it was is the way it should be. I abhor myself. Let me make it clear, brothers and sisters, because I love you and because this is on my heart. If there is anything you're holding on to that makes you exult in being right, beware. God may strip it away just to show you who He is and who you are. Anything that you're holding on to, family traditions, religious traditions, routines, habits, customs, anything you hold on to too tightly can become an idol. And some of you right now might be mad at me. I don't know. Some of you might think I'm too hard. I'm not angry. I've been sitting with this for three weeks, being told not to think, not to study, not to read, not to do anything. This has been marinating in my spirit. And until we understand... That everything has to change over and over and over. We will not have what God wants us to have. You may say, I I want that. I don't know if you do or not. I think I want that, but I don't know if I do or not. The only way we can want that is if God supernaturally helps us want that. Just like the only way you can really want to be saved is if He helps you. We could give example after example in Scripture. David, he changed in the presence of God. He danced. He praised. He worshipped. Brothers and sisters, some of us look too dead. We do. Now, I'm not telling you to put on something false. But if the man who was a man after God's own heart danced before the Lord until he passed out, how come you're afraid to get out of your seat? I mean it. Don't do anything fake. We'll know it's fake. And you will too. You'll go home with your tail between your legs. You'll realize you put on something fake. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, why are you afraid of being moved by the Lord? You know why? Because you don't want to change. Change is hard. Now, I took pride in thinking that I like change. I do. I think generally, I mean, compared to my wife, she lived in a few houses. She's used to the same thing. And I'm like, whatever. I don't have any place association. I don't care about any of this stuff. I don't like sentimental things. I don't. But you know what? God showed me some ways in my own heart. I don't like change. We have some new neighbors. I live in a place where we have a cul-de-sac of four houses, but we're not in a neighborhood. And things have been the way they've been. And I live on an acre, but it's like I don't have neighbors. So I go outside and uh, I wear whatever I want to or whatever I don't want to. And I do whatever I want. And it's like we're just there. And then some people moved in up the street. And the kids have been running through our cul-de-sac, putting things in my mailbox, coming and talking to me. And you know what? God used that to show me, yeah, you hypocrite, you don't like change. You know what else he showed me? You ever think about this? And I'm not rambling. This is all in my heart. Have you ever thought about or heard somebody say, if you find something you like, buy two before they improve it? You know, because they're going to make it worse. I found a pair of running shoes I like, New Balance running shoes, and I bought five pair. 
That's how much I don't like change. I made sure for a, a good decade I didn't have to wear a different pair of shoes. This one that I like. I guess what I'm saying with all of that is, brothers and sisters, one, be honest with yourself because there's things you don't want to change. There's things you don't like changing. There's things you aren't comfortable with changing. Be honest. Don't be too hard on yourself, but be honest. That applies to this church, to you, to your life, to your family. I don't feel like expanding on it right now. I might later. But I'll tell you this, when Zion travails, she'll bring forth children. You may have never thought about that scripture in the context of this message, what's on my heart. I watched my wife um, prepare to have our baby. And young men, if you've never been married, never gone through that, it is one of the most fascinating experiences to see a woman's body change constantly to support, first create, sustain, support, grow this life. All it is is change. Am I wrong, mothers? Every day is new. Without change, there's no life. Some of us want things to be just the same spiritually, just the same religiously, just like the good old days. That's just like a pregnant woman saying, I want to stay the size I am. I don't want to gain any inches or pounds. I don't want to have any mood swings. I don't want to feel any different. I don't want to have any hot flashes and still bring this baby into this world. Brothers and sisters, we will not have children until we travail. And in case you don't know that old word, that's talking about the pain of childbirth, the whole thing that goes with it. And we're Zion. Until we get ready to say, God, I want you to birth something. And I know it's going to create a lot of change. And I want to be okay with it. You're going to have to help me until we do that. It's going to be less than it could be. Brothers and sisters, are we travailing? Are we travailing or are we just happy with things sort of staying the same? Uh, It's enough. We come to church on Sunday. We feel good. God's blessing us, so we must be right. Don't mistake God's favor for His approval. He blesses us because He's good to us. It's not about us being right. There's things we can improve on. And I want to make this clear. This is another thing I wrote down that night. You can have the power of God and the leadership of the Spirit. You can have the power of God and the leadership of the Spirit. Or you can have your predictable routines. It's very unlikely you can have both. We're told clearly, uh, the Lord said, I'm the Lord. My glory I will not share with another. He's not going to share His glory with your memories, your traditions, your routines, nothing. We need to beware of idolatry. It's dangerous. The first disciples of Christ, the apostles, the eyewitnesses of His majesty, had power with God to such a great degree that many modern Christians don't even believe it's possible to have power like that anymore. 
How'd they get it? They walked with Jesus. They were everywhere watching, seeing, witnessing what he did. And say, that all sounds good. I want to walk with Jesus too. Here's the part you don't like. They had to leave all their stuff behind. I don't just mean possessions. I mean everything. Jesus was the worst marketing specialist I ever saw. He did the opposite of what they train you to do with sales and marketing. He wanted people to understand what it would take. And he made sure they understood, if you want to follow me, your life is going to be constant change. They were called to forsake everything and follow him. And brothers and sisters, while we change, and while the earth around us changes, our Lord changes not. He hasn't changed his command. When Jesus said, forsake all and follow me, that wasn't just for those people. Oh, you might get by with surrendering to the Lord, being saved, having a sort of good life, making some money, having a nice house, sending your kids to college. But your life's not going to be what it could be. Jesus said, if any man forsake not his own life, he's not worthy of me. He said, unless you're willing to leave your father and mother, houses and lands, you're not worthy of me. That's, that's hard. And every one of us can have just as much of God as we desire. I'm talking about saved people. You can have as much of God as you desire. No more, no less. He's not going to force more of himself on you than you're willing to surrender to. But if you have a hungry heart... Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled. If you have a hungry heart, God will fill it. You know what it takes? The brother Johnny mentioned it this morning, brokenness. I love that he said, God broke me. My wife, when she tells about her testimony of salvation, she she didn't even know what salvation was. And the day God saved her, she said, all I knew was to pray for brokenness. (laughs) How did she know that? The Holy Spirit. Because he shows us things that are beyond our mind. She had to be changed. He had to be changed. I had to be changed. You know what? It was hard for me. I was like Sister Carissa. I was proud in my own self. And it was foolish. Until I completely broke. God couldn't change me. And when he changed me, I've never been the same. Now, we see this uh, pattern in Scripture, and this is something else that's hard to stomach, and you might not like it. I don't like it, but it's true. When people aren't willing to change, after a period of time, I don't know how long that time is, Jesus moves on to another place where they are willing to change. He actually did that. He instructed His disciples to do that. We don't have a guarantee that the Holy Spirit will always abide with us. We're not promised the abiding power of the Holy Spirit just because of our sign. Certainly not because of our sign. Not because of our heritage. The Jews trusted in a rich heritage. It wasn't enough. Their heritage was better than ours. (laughs) It was a lot bigger and deeper and longer. 
it wasn't enough. What we have to have is the abiding power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you, and don't answer this, because if you did, it wouldn't be true, because you have to dwell on this. What are you willing to give up to have God? You say, I don't have to do that. I'm already saved. If you feel that way, that's a spiritually immature feeling. Surrender doesn't stop. Salvation is the beginning of a lifetime of surrender. A lot of Christians are ineffective. A lot of churches are dead and empty because a lot of Christians don't live a surrendered life. And the manna from yesterday or 10 years ago or the 1950s isn't enough. We need daily bread, the Holy Spirit, now. Change, brothers and sisters, it can be really hard. And God showed me that. You know what's worse? Not changing. Not growing. Not developing. Not maturing. There's a couple verses that um, were on my heart. And then I'll, I think I'll be finished after that. I want to try to prove this. And this won't be a, a lengthy um, doctrinal teaching. But I want you to understand that this isn't just a man rambling. These are truths in God's scripture that I'm trying to speak from my heart. I hope with his inspiration. Um, by the way, I forgot to mention this and it's... It's necessary. When God delivered the Israelites from slavery, they were mad about it. They actually said, let's go back. At least we had leeks and cucumbers. We'd rather go back to our certain slavery than have the uncertain providence of God. We're not any different now. And this should be a warning to us. Um, I don't know if the first part of that message, what was on my heart, seemed discouraging, encouraging. I don't know. I have to leave it up to the Lord. But this part, I think, will be encouraging. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We all, with open face beholding, as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That is a description of what the life of a Christian should be like. Ongoing, developing, ever-increasing change. That word for change is the Greek word metamorpho, and it's actually the same word that was used on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus told his people, some of you standing here will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come in his glory. And uh, Moses and Elijah appeared. They were actually there, I believe. Dead men. Transfigured in the presence of Jesus. As a tiny foretaste of what's going to come when God burns up all this stuff. You know that's what's going to happen. 
So I want you to realize this, this verse in 2 Corinthians, and I'm not giving this a very good treatment. You could listen. Brother Reynolds, Jerry Reynolds, has done several lessons on this that's much, much better. Uh, I can get you those if you'd like. But this verse, we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed. That's transfigured. This is the same exact word for Jesus being transfigured on the, the, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. The brightness of God showing forth in Him, that can happen to us. In fact, the more we look at Him, the more that should happen. This is also the same word used in Romans 12 too, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be transfigured. Now, I want to try to make this part clear before I finish. A lot of us have absorbed a unscriptural idea of sanctification. We think we're supposed to get better and better and better all the time. That it's... Um, Growing, that we almost become our own foundation of growing holiness. That's not scriptural. The idea that the longer you serve the Lord, the less likely you are to sin. That's not scriptural. And it doesn't align with, with the teaching of this when you look at the Greek and understand it. When he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, he's not saying become something better than you were on your own strength and willpower. He's saying, look at the face of Jesus, and the more you do that, the more transfigured you will be. This is a temporary thing. It's not permanent. But it's a foreshadowing and a foretaste of what will be permanent. You know, it's a different word that's used uh, that talks about being Changed in the twinkling of an eye in a moment when the trump sounds is a different word. It's not transfigured, it's a permanent word. I asked Brother Johnny to sing, and if he still feels like it, I want him to when I'm finished preaching, because there's a line in this song that says, I'll be changed from this creature that I am. And I don't know how to even get this across but I feel like I have a little taste of what the Apostle Paul said when he complained about his own body being a distraction from the presence of God. There are moments in this life that we can be transfigured by the Holy Spirit, and some of you have seen it in the saints of God. I'm thankful I was taken to church services where I saw it, I'm thankful that I've known people still in my life that sometimes they're transfigured. They have the power of God on them in a way that is beyond them. It's supernatural, but it doesn't last because we're human. But I take great solace and great encouragement in knowing that one day, not only is God going to metamorph me or transfigure me, He's going to, the other Greek word is metaschema. He's, it's going to be a whole new schematic. I'm going to be a new. <laughs> creation and all the distractions and all the problems and all the sins and all the things that I regret so much all the time aren't going to be a distraction anymore because I'm going to have a glorified body like his but not here but one day I'll be changed from this creature that I am see when God saves you 
He doesn't say, if he doesn't do anything about your body. You know that? That's why a lot of times Christians are saved. They go live a messed up life and come back. Or, or some of us, we've made decisions that are bad or poor or we still sin. Because God doesn't do anything to your body. That's your job with his help. It's your job to keep your body under subjection. What he changes is something inside of here that is nameless because it's bigger. We call it soul or spirit or the heart, but it's bigger than that. And that part of you that God has bought, purchased, and that is he's holding on to is one day going to be united with a perfect body and spend all eternity with him. That's why all this matters. And to me, that's a great hope. Uh, So I want to ask Brother Johnny to come and sing that song, Peace in the Valley, as you contemplate these words that the Lord has put on my heart.